Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back. This week is dedicated to trying to understand the meaning of distorted grief. And I'm joined by four wonderful guests who share their insights and their expertise, and I really hope that it helps in some way. In this order, we'll be listening to Dr. Chloe Paydusis mitchell Liz Gleason, Helen James, and Edie Nathan. So I'm delighted to say that today I'm joined by Dr. Chloe Paydusis mitchell who is a psychologist and a grief trauma specialist, who's the founder of the Grief Clinic in London, and which is online. Welcome, Dr. Dr. Chloe. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you. I'm really delighted to have you here, for you to sort of share your thoughts and experience and expertise on this most difficult of experiences that I'm calling distorted grief, which is where someone feels that the loss of a loved one is surreal or that it never happened because they were denied the usual rituals that go with a death. So I really wanted to ask you, what on earth is happening uh, sort of emotionally, psychologically, for someone to feel that this enormous loss, that it isn't real? Yeah, it's a really important topic you're you're researching, and I'm really, really keen to hear what your other contributors have said. When we when we lose a loved one, the body responds first, and it takes quite a bit of time for the mind to catch up with the reality of what's happened. And the reason I start with that point is because I like to look at loss and the grieving that follows it in a holistic way. So we are not human doings, we are human beings. And when we lose a loved one, the way in which we make sense of ourselves and our place in the world changes fundamentally. So we operate, if you like, every day under the illusion that we're just going to have a predictable day, just going to be a normal day. And that's that's kind of how we we function. And during COVID, we lost everything that felt familiar, that felt normal that felt recognisable in how we deal with challenges and stresses. So when loss happened, I think for a lot of people, the reality was so surreal, so disconnected from anything that felt familiar, that their mind couldn't integrate it. So you could carry on in the illusion that the world is going to go back to its normal self when it is over. And it hasn't, of course. And when you lose a loved one, Um, and you're not there to do the normal end-of-life support rituals, your mind doesn't have the opportunity to integrate the reality of the loss. We have to make sense of it, but we also have to process it. And not having those rituals, I think, deprive people of the opportunity for that. And the, the, the impact of that is that People didn't get enough opportunity to share their loss, to create meaning out of their loss in that collective kind of communal way, um, which really helps us kind of let it sink in. And they didn't 
they didn't actually get proper emotional support for it. So I think the whole thing contributed to a delayed grief response. Like I'm seeing a lot of people um, in my in the grief clinic and in my practice who are now suddenly feeling overwhelming grief. And it, you know, it might be a year and a half, a couple of years later. And for many people, the world might seemingly have gone back to normal, but not for those who've, who have suffered the loss of loved ones. Um, it's a very traumatic experience. So inside they're screaming, they're, they're really, really suffering. Um, does that answer the question? It's a complicated question. And I think my view is that in order to heal that experience, people need to be witnessed. <laughs> They need to have somebody who understands what it's been like. That's real loss and say, I know what it was like. I know what you're going through to normalize it so that they can gain some control on, a, on, a, on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, yeah. That's beautifully explained. It really is. Thank you. Thank you. These people, as you said, are screaming inside with this sort of, inability to uh, process what's happened and to, as you said to have it witnessed so this is all happening now lockdown not long finished and everybody you know the mantra is let's get back to normality well hi haven't you moved on complete sort of delegitimization of their grief and it's a grief that is so not what we're used to and so this is all coming out now. I agree. I mean... <sighs> it's it's interesting, isn't it, Karen? Because I think under lockdown, I know my experience was you just had to keep the show on the go. You just had to... People were sandwiched between competing priorities, um, working from home, dealing with children, perhaps dealing with deep worry about elders. And in order to kind of survive it, we all went into survival mode and just got through it so if you if you tragically lost a loved one during that time you didn't have time or headspace to to be in your grief you had to compartmentalize it and I think that's what a lot of people had to do um in in kind of privileging just getting through this I'll just need to get through today I just need to get through today is what I heard so much and I think it's completely human and normal but if you look at research under grief, when you lose a loved one under a time of crisis like that, it's actually a traumatic event. And I don't think that these traumas happen to people that were, you know, going through life happily. I think everybody was in crisis mode. So coping with perhaps depleted mental health, coping with anxiety, coping with stress, coping with fatigue coping with a kind of chronic kind of burnout that lockdown was I remember going through the first lockdown in the UK and thinking okay this isn't this isn't as bad as I thought it was but I was really lucky I had a lovely garden and I had I had the opportunity to carry on working um second lockdown I struggled with it immensely so it's important to normalize for everybody that if you had to compartmentalize it and put it in a box in order to survive, that's probably what you needed to do. And that's OK. That's not that's not evidence of malfunctioning. Um, so I really want to normalize it for people. But of course, now that kind of we're back to our usual routines, sort of, because I don't think the world's gone back to normal at all. 
the reality of what you went through, the trauma of that loss, because I think all loss is traumatic. We're not, it's never okay to lose somebody that we're deeply bonded to. Um, comes right up, right, right in front of you, <laughs> as though it's it's literally just happened. And that, again, is a very normal response. It's not a pathology. I don't like medicalizing grief at all. I don't agree with it at all. I think it's very normal human suffering. And what tends to happen, what I'd like to think will happen, is that instead of it becoming a pathological, let's say, distorted grief, it, it can be a grief that people are supported in. They can tune into it. They can start to normalise it. They can start to observe what it's telling them and, and actually find outlets to express it. When we can, when we can um, normalise our physical symptoms, because I think a lot of people are having quite intense physical symptoms now that they're thinking is this am I am I losing it am I am I now getting depression have I got something else going on and I don't think they are I think it's just a delayed grief response coming out now and that physicality of grief can be normalized if you if you see it for what it is in the context of what it is so all your all your memories of the loss and all your memories of your loved one come flooding back and they activate your survival mode your fight or flight and that is that's a chemistry that actually impacts us physically so when you're flooded with cortisol those stress hormones of the survival mode you do feel quite a lot of symptoms and I'd be really happy to answer questions about that but I don't want to be too medical about it but I do think normalizing it talking about it sharing it having somebody say I hear you <laughs> you're having a normal reaction to what was an abnormal situation can give you that sense of, okay, I'm going to get through this. Does that make sense? It really does. Thank you. What sort of physical manifestations or reactions have you come across? Because it's something that's come up with, uh, with, the, with the people who've shared their experiences. Really, yeah, all sorts of things. So when you go through a loss, I was saying that when we first started our conversation, it, it impacts all of us. So what I mean by that, the, the the physical side to it is that all your systems go through some kind of massive uh, wobble, <laughs> to put it put it mildly. So you might, let's say, um, let's say, um, so you might get an empty pit feeling in your stomach. You might feel sick. You might feel nauseous. Some people might actually be sick quite repeatedly. You find that your appetite is disrupted. Either you don't want to eat at all. Um, don't eat for hours and hours and hours or you want to comfort eat and you're eating sugar heavy stuff um, or calorific stuff and that's because your stress hormones are telling you to eat as much as you can so that you can run for your life there's a reason why people comfort eat when they're distressed it's not random um, digestive issues um, autoimmune flare-ups um, you might find that you're dizzy all the time or light headed or you become noise intolerant. I've seen all of these like repeatedly um, difficulty concentrating, difficulty relaxing. So maybe in the past you might have been able to enjoy a film, a book, a nice bath with a magazine. Can't do that anymore. Um, you might find that you're very forgetful. And you know that you've kind of said things or committed to things, but you can't really remember. So a lot of short term memory loss, um, feeling demotivated, fatigued, tired, wired and tired, feeling um, overwhelmed, 
uh, finding that it doesn't really make sense, like what you're experiencing seems a little bit out of the blue or frightening, feeling anxious, questioning everything. What was, what's the point? How can there be an, a God? Why would something like this happen? Why has this happened? Why am I living like this? You know, all sorts of really big existential questions come up. So all of these, in my experience as a grief and trauma expert, are normal reactions that are coming out now. And if if any of your listeners are, are going through that, it's really, really important to practice self-care that helps regulate the nervous system, helps ground you, calm you down and give yourself loads of self-compassion and empathy. What kind of things would you recommend? Very back to basics, very simple things. So getting out into nature, we know absolutely helps regulate our nervous systems. That's not that's not woo woo. It's real science because we know that there's something in the chemicals that released in trees that actually are why we're wired to calm down to going out and sitting in the garden if you can or going for for a walk in your local park really helps noticing nature. And if you can't get outside, bring nature inside, bring a beautiful flower in, bring a beautiful plant in and notice it. You know, that actually helps. Um, any kind of gentle movement, any gentle movement doesn't have to be, you know, cardio in the gym, just a gentle, gentle stretch or a gentle walk. Anything you can do as a way of of mobilizing the oxygen in your body that that helps very, very importantly, using the power of your breath. I can't stress that enough. When we take time to practice slowing our breath. And it, I, I can give you a technique. What that does is it slows your heart rate down, which means that if you do that for three minutes, that's long enough to deactivate the release of stress hormones in your brain, which is brilliant. And the, the quicker you, the, the more you practice that. So sometimes people say, well, how often should I do that? All the time if you're, if you're suffering. When you wake up, when you're sitting at your desk, when you're cooking dinner take a few minutes to slow your breath down. And that's very easy to do. Um, if you're really, really in distress and struggling to kind of feel like you've got a grip on your normal functioning, add to your breath work a safe space. I think that's really important. A visualized image that you feel is a safe place for you and go and hang out in there and create as much detail as you can, as much detail. So what you're wearing, what you're hearing what you're seeing what you're feeling the point of that being that with the power of your mind the intention to create a safe space inside of you will manifest chemically in your system and you'll start feeling a little bit more in control a little bit calmer so it's the combo of the visualization and the slowing your heart rate down that seems to activate that and i i do that all the time like all the time wonderful some of the people who've spoken on the podcast have not for example only lost one parent but some have lost two parents at the same time which is enormous I mean it's enormous anyway any loss but extra complicated that's coping with multiple losses like that is particularly traumatic one of the most important things about that is to recognize that that kind of grief is definitely not going to be linear. It's going to be quite unpredictable. There's going to be lots of lots of factors that are going to play out. So we must be so careful not to assume that we know what 
that person is going through because we use the word grief to encapsulate like a multitude of things and it's not the same thing to lose a loved one if you've had time to be with them and prepare or if you've lost multiple members of your family and you weren't there to be with them it's highly complicated so I think accepting that everybody has their own journey with it is a very important act of compassion that we can all embrace and in in order to heal that kind of pain, we've got to get away from them from the stages of grief. There's no such thing as going through a kind of linear, here are the five or seven stages of my grief and next year I'm going to be okay. I, I, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Learning to heal it is a very, very personal journey, very personal. And no two people do it in exactly the same way. And I would say those stages particularly don't apply with reference to COVID grief? No, not at all. Uh, I think I replace the stages in my practice with the idea that they're just emotional phases you might go through, but might is the operative word. You might go through all of them, you might go through only one of them, or you might be in one part of it. For example, you might be feeling very angry in the morning and trying to bargain for a different outcome, and then in the afternoon you were feeling a bit more just... upset and sad and then later you're feeling more accepting and then later again you're feeling back to being rageful you know it can be all over the place and we can't predict what people are going to experience because it's an inside job I think that kind of event is a deep psychic injury and to heal it we just got to go into it very very compassionately very very gently very respectfully and with real kind of commitment to understanding that there's no such thing as recovery I know that sounds bizarre but you don't recover that you always will be sad but you learn to kind of make friends with it kind of find a way to embrace life again if you've been loving and compassionate to yourself about it I think that that unconditional love energy is the most important thing yes that's when you mention the word unconditional I lost my dad's Uh, last year but not to COVID I knew it was coming and I was trying to sort of figure out all the sadness I felt and uh, the realization that it was an end of unconditional love Mm. you know when you mentioned the word that I couldn't tap into that again but obviously have Mm. the messages that he gave me but it is tremendously hard it is it's very painful it's very painful and I think you know I I you know that Nothing I say will take that away, but, but all I can do is is validate it and bear witness to it and acknowledge it that that's your that's your experience and it's painful. And I like what you said that you've you're left with the legacy of the unconditional love you experience, and that's very meaningful and something we can you can tap into. And it really honor. is, yeah, because we speak about the legacies that these people left you know which I think is really important too oh hugely hugely important hugely because it's comfort it's something we can always hold in dear in our hearts and we can tap into it and we can live by it we can we can honor it I think that's a huge part of the learning to heal that's mm. lovely to live by someone's mm. legacy that's a lovely thought mm. yeah thank you um mm. I'm going to call it the grief box so people have as you say, sort of had to compartmentalise all that grief. They put it into this grief box. Only now are people really confronting it 
as it were. You say that it's important that that those feelings and that loss is witnessed. Is that witnessed on a on a very personal scale, or is it with with other people? Is there something that the government needs to do? How does that work, or does it just depend? Yeah, it's something I think about a lot. I think multi-dimensional. So becoming the observer of your own experience of loss is very important, and witnessing it for yourself, and not necessarily always having to delve into it, but but noticing what it's calling you to express, create. Uh, become right so it's an inside job but also we know that if we share our internal experience and our authentic kind of healing with others who accept it and support it and champion it that is hugely important like having connections with other human beings that understand what we've been through is a massive thing it's so important and I do a lot of webinars in the corporate world raising awareness on grief and loss and how we handle it in the workplace and majority of organizations and groups don't have peer support don't uh, gatherings don't really know how to how to hold it they in, in fact they marginalize the people who are going through a difficult bereavement they tell them to go home <laughs> and um I think there's lots we could do my intention with the grief clinic was that to bring communities of people who have suffered loss to gather to share to understand each other and to not not for it to be necessarily therapeutic but to just be about the shared humanity in it i think that's a very very big thing that's missing at the moment really missing there's the inquiry rumbling on and then you have the covid memorial wall mm. do you feel that there's really something else that needs to happen i mean those things are are fine but on another yeah. sort of level i think there's something missing i think i think on a policy level we don't yet have laws and policies around bereavement leave so how that trickles down into the reality of everybody's life is they don't really know what their rights are they don't know what to expect it's very much down to your individual manager and their particular perspective but what happens if you lose a best friend to cancer what's your bereavement leave then or what happens if you're suffering a, you know, distorted grief because you lost your parents a year and a half ago and now it's coming out? So I do think there needs to be some policy, some understanding of what helps us heal. I think that would be an amazing thing to see. I know there's some effort in that, but I think we're a long way from it. Yeah, I think the view is that, well, you know, it's it's happened, it's done and dusted and let's move on, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not. That's the that's the point you're making, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So this tsunami of grief, which is only coming to the surface now, what does that mean going forward if there is no proper recognition and proper help and understanding? I think the risks are quite big because if people don't feel supported, they will potentially risk their mental health, potentially. I've said earlier I don't like medicalising grief, but there is a possibility that if you swallow it or if you don't know how to process it or you don't get enough support processing it that it can lodge in your body and start causing either physical illness or mental health illness and that we're already at one in five people being diagnosed with depression and one in six with anxiety and suicide rates are just horrific horrifically unacceptable to me so there is a real risk like we need to take action now and holistic action on a grander scale do you think Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yes. 
Yeah, I like that. It's very pressing, I think. And just one other thing I wanted to run by you. A lot of people said that because the coffins were closed, some people didn't see their loved one. I mean, the last time they saw them was when they left the house in an ambulance or some people walked to the ambulance. So they may never have seen them in the hospital, never saw after they passed their body. And the next time that they met them was in a closed coffin. And many have said that they don't trust, didn't trust, don't still don't trust that it was the, the body of their loved one in the coffin. What do you make of that? I think it's a very normal human response because in our heart of hearts, we, we wish that it could be otherwise. And I think the significance of bearing witness to the deterioration or the death of somebody and, and, and spending time with the, with the body actually really helps for it to sink in on a cognitive level. Um, and a lot of the people I, 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 I support now need to go through a, a ritual of reframing what happened making sense of it and practicing some you know spending time at the grave or spending time at a resting place and going through the kind of what they would have said how they would have liked to have navigated what hasn't been finished needs to be finished and we need you're kind of left with it alone but it's very important to go through that as part of the healing that's really interesting reframing do you think that the covid bereaved Will ever be able to close the circle of grief? Or can anyone close that circle of grief? But particularly because it's so complicated with COVID-19. I don't know what circle of grief means in the case of COVID. I, I think we never really close that circle. It's sort of like concentric. It just keeps happening, doesn't it? And keeps happening. But hopefully where we arrive at is a, is a point where the implicit um, triggers, memories and events don't throw us into a loop that feels like a reactivation of trauma that's what I think is very important and there's there's quite a lot of specific trauma work that people can do to get themselves safeguarded like that thank you yeah you're welcome is there anything else that you would like to add or a message that you'd like to share Mm -hmm. with with anyone who's going through this difficult thing I, I think I think my message is is very simple. It's be kind to yourself, be kind, be compassionate, be make friends with what it's been like for you to be injured like this and to get support. Definitely get support if you need it. Brilliant. Thank you, Dr. Chloe. That was wonderful. Thank you, Karen. Really good to be part of this. Thank you. I'm joined now by the psychotherapist and educator Liz Gleason who runs the hugely popular Shapes of Grief podcast, and she's based in Ireland. So welcome, Liz. I'm really delighted that you're here. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here with you. I very much wanted to get your view and to pick your brains about what I'm calling distorted grief. If you could try and explain what is going on emotionally, psychologically here, because it's uh, hugely complex. It sure is. And, you know, it's so hard to speak generally about what's going on because everybody has such a unique, different experience with grief. And of course, COVID, whether you were bereaved during the pandemic or you were bereaved because of the pandemic, so someone you love died by COVID, everything was different, you know. We know that part of the grieving process 
Well, first of all, we know there's no stages or phases. That's a myth. But we do, we have learned from theories that are relevant that one of the primary processes that we must go through is to accept that the loss is real. And that's very different to knowing someone has died. So someone might say to me, you know, your Aunt Mary has died. But accepting that that's a fact, that that's real, that that's truly happened might actually take me weeks or months, in some cases, even years. Um, it can remain quite surreal. Now, before we we were on air, you were saying about the way the Irish grieve. We're quite good with our with dying and death. You know, so we, unlike in the UK, and I don't know if it's cultural or just practical, um, we have funerals very quickly here. Whereas in the UK, you know, you have to wait a while because there's so much more of you. But in Ireland, we do, we hold our deceased with us, close to us, usually for a few days at home in what's called a wake. And as we're there with their bodies, it can dawn on us a lot quicker and easier. Yes, they there they are, they're dead. So accepting that it's real that they've gone, you know, that they are dead may be easier in that circumstance. Now, during COVID, we weren't allowed to have our loved ones with us, you know, unless they were already with us. So people died in hospital without their loved ones there. In some cases, people were saying goodbye over phone or iPad, never got to see their body afterwards, particularly during the the first lockdown. So when we don't have the body, when we're not with them to see them dying, when we're not witnessing these changes, this dying process, it's hard to get our head around that this is the reality. Even when we are witnessing it, it can be hard to get our head around. So ritual, ceremony, these are all the things that society has created to help the bereaved get their head around it. But again, many of us were denied that during the pandemic. Um, you know, sometimes there, were, there weren't open caskets. I know we were very lucky. My father died during the third lockdown um, and it impacted me in the way that, you know, he was to go to hospital, but I insisted he didn't go to hospital because I knew I would be that person standing on the road at the back of the ambulance, watching it pull away and I would never see him again. And so for me, it wasn't about saving him or making him better. I knew he was at the end of his life. It was about giving him a really good death. So I was lucky in that we were able to keep him at home and go through the dying process with him. But for example, we weren't allowed to have people at his funeral. There was a maximum of 10 people. They were cautious with us in the funeral home. We weren't allowed to carry his coffin. So small things that we would have done differently, we weren't able to do because of COVID. And those things have are having such a massive impact still with the COVID bereaved. Yeah, yeah. Like I can only give you, you know, a, a few examples from my own professional experience, but in a way it was a gift that my father died for my clients, I suppose. It was a gift that my father died, you know, in under similar circumstances to their loved ones because I was able to use that and 
no, you know, normally as a psychotherapist, we would not be sharing our personal experiences unless we felt really strongly that this could assist or somehow support the person that we're supporting. And so in the case where a few people had not seen their loved ones die, they weren't there, they were watching the news, they were hearing stories of body bags and heaps of people and all this awful dehumanization of our loved ones. They were left with images of that. You know, if, if we don't tell children what's happening, they'll make it up. And they'll often make up something worse than the reality. But adults do that too. I, I see that all the time. If we don't have the facts or we haven't been there, we will make up some image of what we think happened. And I noticed that for a lot of people I supported, when they heard of body bags, they're thinking of black rubbish sacks. You know, that's that was what conjured up as piles of bodies. And, um, you know, I, I'm so conscious that this is such a sensitive subject. But for me, I remember sharing more than once, you know, would you like me to describe what a what a body bag looks like? You know, it's cocoon-like. It's got a zip from the top to the bottom. Our loved ones, once they die, are placed so gently inside. And it's it's like a papoose. It's it's like a soft leather. The one my father was in was pink. So I offer, and I was able to offer an alternative set of imagery that was much easier for them to digest and accept than some of the imagery that they'd deduced from the TV, for example. You have a particular interest in how grief manifests itself in the body. I just wanted to ask if you have any sort of advice about sort of coping mechanisms, anything that would make somebody who's struggling with all of this that might help them? Yeah, I mean, again, anybody who's familiar with grief would be quite slow to offer advice. But as um, somebody I interviewed recently, Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor, she put it in, in a lovely way. She said, I'll lend you my glasses for a moment and see if they work for you, you know. But ultimately, everybody has to develop ways that work for them. In terms of the physicality of grief, when we were bereaved during the pandemic, we didn't have those hugs, that holding. We didn't have all the people who came up and shook our hand and said, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry your dad died. The hands and the shoulder. All of that physical aspect helps us to accept, goodness, this has really happened. Um, and also it comforts us, you know. One of the things that we really need, whether we agree with this or not, is people, humans, other people. When someone we love dies, we somehow need to feel love. It doesn't replace the love of the person who has died, but it's like a life raft. You know, we will love you, you know, while you're while you're grieving this love that you've lost, you know. Um, so grief has a profound physical impact on us. It's grief is not just like an emotional experience or a psychological experience that we think of or an emotion like sadness that we feel it's a profound physical event um it can be spirit it can impact us spiritually financially socially and just on the physicality then Karen to hone in on that 
Um, it can really impact the way we sleep or, or not. It can impact our digestion, how we think. Our brains can be really impacted, can't think clearly. Um, we can feel angry. We can feel like we want to run away. People, our, our tolerance for other people can be really compromised. Um, we can get heart attack. You know, we can get chest pain. Um, grief really does have a profound impact when it's somebody close to us. And especially if it's not uh, expected, but even when it is expected, if someone we love dies, it has an extreme dysregulating effect on the system. It's a, an extreme stress response. And often we can be thrown into the fight or flight response and we want to run away, we want to fight. And our body can be a cocktail of cortisol and adrenaline. And um, it makes sense that when we're having such a physical experience, it makes sense that we use the body to support ourselves. So exercise, for example, can go a long way in using up those stress hormones, um, you know, and making us feel settled. We know that exercise stimulates some of the more feel-good hormones. So it's it's not to get rid of the grief. It's not going to cure it. It's, you know, but it's going to make it easier to bear. Grief is something we have to bear, we have to carry, we have to learn to adapt to. It's not something that we get over. And certainly there are practices that will just make it a little bit easier to carry. And connecting with people, allowing ourselves to be touched emotionally and physically and to let support in, it's really important. Sometimes we guard ourselves from support, but to let it in, to move our bodies, to support ourselves in the best possible ways to minimize the physical impact of grief. So feeling safe, we we often feel unsafe in the world when someone we love has died, our, our safety is rocked. How can we be with people or in places that help us to feel safe again? And I know for many people, they go to nature. Nature is big enough and beautiful enough to hold us and to make us feel safe in those moments. Lovely, thank you. And just finally, I'd like to ask you more really about the COVID situation in the UK, because it was obviously so catastrophic. There is the inquiry going ongoing, and obviously there's the memorial wall where the COVID bereaved gather, but there seems a complete lack of creativity, feels a lack of a holistic holistic help, really, for the COVID bereaved. I mean, many, many of them are only just feeling the grief now, all these years later, because obviously, you know, they were in lockdown. So, so there's this massive, overwhelming feeling of grief and, they're str and so complicated and they're struggling to handle it. What sort of holistic help should there be, could there be, that might help them through? I just think, Britain, you've been through so much loss in recent years, you know, with Brexit. Whatever way you look at it, it's a, it's a huge transition. It's a huge transformation. It has been a massive loss for many people who didn't want it. It hasn't worked out. Um, you know, the, the Queen died. She, again, whatever your feelings are towards the monarchy, 
She was an exceptional um, woman who was there throughout many people's lives. I mean, very few people um, outlived the Queen or in years anyway. So again, a massive transition for the country. Um, and and I think people, from what I can see across the water, people are just really grieving stability in the UK at the moment. And it's very hard to turn our attention towards grief and ritual and ceremony when everything is so shaky. And, you know, it, it's time for Britain to revisit history and make amends, um, you know, and, and look at what has brought us here. Why are we in this situation? But you so rightly so say, in the meantime, there is a huge cohort of people who've been bereaved during the pandemic who have just fallen right through the cracks. And, you know, that wall seems to be one of the only tangible places where people can gather and go to. I totally agree. I do feel that there needs to be, I think it was Dr. Chloe mentioned that the bereaved, COVID bereaved feel that they have to have their loss witnessed, that that didn't happen. I just wonder whether there needs to be something on a, a grand scale uh, with a holistic approach that might help. Absolutely. Help a, a, a day of remembrance. You know, I believe we have one in Ireland for people who died of COVID. Um, and it's it's true. Like I'm, my father died two years ago now. Just last Monday was his second anniversary. And I have that yearning to have a memorial, to gather you know, to to just witness his life in a way that we weren't able to do um, due to COVID. You know, I still feel, to me, it still feels like something that needs to be done. Um, yeah. And do you sort of recommend that people try and do that in their own way now? A hundred percent. It's never, ever too late. Like in my own way, I've built a garden here in my my garden um, a little corner of my garden for dad. He was big into birds and animals. Lovely. So I have bird feeders and a birdhouse. And I have his old mountain boots um, with flowers in them just in this oh, little lovely. corner. And that's, you know, that's doing something. So that's my little memorial garden that helps me to continue that bond with him. Absolutely. I mean, it would be lovely if it was done at a national level. I don't see that happening anytime soon in the UK because the firefighters are out with all areas of government there at the moment. Um, but that's not to stop individuals, families, communities getting together and, you know, creating their own rituals and ceremonies in, you know, in their own circles for the people that they have loved and lost during COVID? I lost my dad, who was a carry man, last April. And it seems just like yesterday, really. And there was a story from his childhood. I mean, he was pretty wild and adventurous, where he used to travel in a barrel uh, down a river in North Kerry. <laughs> that was his mode of transport as a child. And I've got this massive urge to now revisit the Gale River, just to walk the the journey that he made in the barrel and I don't know what what it is I'm seeking yeah and it's it's sometimes it's just in the doing of it you know it's to somehow mark this was important in life is fast Karen we're just 
we're jumping from one project to the next and acquiring the next thing or achieving the next goal. And it's really important that we pause and remember the people we love and grieve the people we love. And I think that sort of, it's like people doing the Camino de Santiago. You know, I've done it a couple of times and the last time I did it was after my divorce. And it was just to honor something momentous has happened in my life. And I'm actually going to take this time out to mark it, to process it, to grieve it, to acknowledge it. I think that's what we're doing. It mightn't be a great epiphany, you know, we mightn't come out and go, yay, I achieved something. But it's simply just, I'm going to just slow down and acknowledge this time of my life and feel it, like allow ourselves to feel something. That's really good advice. Take time and slow down. Brilliant. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, Karen. Lovely to speak with you. I'm welcoming Helen Smith, who runs the hugely popular Lockdown Grief Instagram page, where she has thousands of followers and she's built up this amazing community and speaks with real eloquence and raw honesty about losing her father, Ian, um, in the pandemic in April 2020. I really wanted to pick your brains about what I'm calling distorted grief. I'm sure that must resonate with you and with your community. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even now, and it's nearing three years on now, for me, the word I always, always have and continue to use to describe it is surreal, because that is the only word to me that can capture the whole experience, what happened to dad, how we lost him, everything. There's literally the only word I can say, surreal, over and over again. And I think that resonates again with so many of my followers who are COVID bereaved, because it was exactly like that, just some almost like some I used to refer to it as a sci-fi horror movie because of the memories I had of being in the ICU ward um with the plastic curtains and the PPE and it just felt like a, a film in the fact that it wasn't real so yeah surreal then surreal now and did you feel that that you were watching that film yes I think obviously during it it's to a degree very clear but also to a degree such a blur probably because of just how traumatic the whole thing was and afterwards when I was with my mum and during lockdown obviously when we were just trying to process what had happened it almost was that sense of did that really happen was that how it was like you know what do you remember what do I remember almost like we were piecing it together to try and make sense of it all but I think that's the thing and you're before COVID in your wildest imagination you could have never envisioned a loss being like that and my dad was my first major loss um unfortunately since then I have lost multiple more members of my family not through COVID and even you know comparing if you like the losses dad's being within those circumstances 100% was the most traumatic and surreal because you you can't you couldn't have ever predicted what that would have been like. You couldn't have imagined it. You know, when I used to picture what loss and grief would be like, it would, ne- it would never have been like COVID was. So I just think everybody was so wildly unprepared because how could they prepare for something like that? So I think it always it always will just be surreal. And which death rituals were you denied, Helen? So dad died 
just shy of three weeks of lockdown being announced. So he actually got admitted into hospital the afternoon of the 23rd of March. Lockdown was announced the evening of 23rd of March. So he was really, really in that first wave. I think the day that he died, 12th of April, actually was what they said was the peak of the first wave. So that was when restrictions were the heaviest. You know, we weren't allowed to visit him in hospital um, whilst he was there. Uh, fortunately we were able my mum brother and I through begging the doctors we were allowed to be in the ICU ward um, when they turned the ventilator off kitted out in the full PPE Um, after that it was obviously the restricted funeral we had 10 people at his funeral um, and the funeral was time limited limited speaking we were allowed to visit him in the chapel of rest with a closed coffin so again we couldn't see him we just saw the coffin we weren't allowed to dress him um no wake after the funeral so yeah it was the full-on restrictions and we lost dad which saying it out loud because i've not actually said it in a in a while just again surreal is going to be my word of the day i think when i when i talk about it and am i right in thinking that you weren't able to touch his face or (sighs) Yes and no. In terms of we were in the heavy PPE, so we had two pairs of gloves, the gown, goggles, mask, visor, hat, the whole shebang. So the nurse actually said to me, one of the things I do remember when we all entered the COVID ward, she said, you have to try not to cry because you're not going to be able to wipe your eyes because of the PPE and the cross-contamination. And I just remember thinking, how on earth am I supposed to witness my dad dying and I'm being told to not cry? So I think that had almost stuck in my head when we entered the kind of cubicle area that he was in, because I remember thinking, albeit I could stroke his face amongst the wires and all the equipment there, I wasn't saying because I had two pairs of gloves on. So, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be able to hold my dad's hand and, and feel feel his hand, but you couldn't really when you're wearing two pairs of gloves and I was so hyper aware if you like in that state of not wanting to break the rules and cross-contaminate or do anything that I it was just I think I think I definitely did stroke dad's face but it was only after a while if you like where I just almost thought screw it I have to because there was some tears coming out of dad's eyes and I just I couldn't I had to wipe them away but it it was it wasn't the obviously relaxing kind of time that you want it to be uh, if that makes any sort of sense it was me being nervous of not wanting to do the wrong thing with the rules that were surrounding us if you like a number of people that i've spoken to have elaborated on this surreal feeling mm-hmm. and they've sort of said things like you know because they didn't because the coffin was closed you know, they couldn't trust that, you know, their loved one was in the coffin. Mm-hmm. Have you, has anybody spoken to you about that or any other examples of this sort of surrealness and feeling that, you know, didn't happen because they didn't witness these rituals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every person that does follow me that's COVID bereaved has said that the whole thing is just surreal um, and traumatic and just incredibly difficult to process really for me personally in terms of 
not being able to see dad in the coffin. I think I think with a lot of it, probably thinking back now as my own personal way of dealing with it, I just could not allow myself to overthink, if you like, because I don't think it was going to benefit me. Obviously, I was in such a bubble um, of just being distraught and trauma and not understanding really what had happened. And it all just almost that period between the date that he passed and the funeral was three weeks, I think. And I don't really remember it, to be honest with you, it all just passed into one. I just remember that I was going through the motions um, with my priority trying to be to support my mum through all of it um, between my brother and I we were just doing what we could to alleviate any pressure from her and I think it was almost like not that I was agreeing with it but I had no choice and I was aware that I had no choice of the circumstances so everything that was being told to us including you can't touch the few uh, you can't touch the coffin you you know this restriction that restriction it was almost like we just not accepted it because obviously no one wants to accept that, but we had to accept it. So to me, putting up a fight, if you like, wasn't really worth it. I didn't have the energy. It was just, this is a situation. This is what we have to do. So I think with dad's coffin being closed, it was just almost like another knockdown. It was like, okay, well, that's what the situation is. So how can we make this funeral, if you like, and the lack of wake, the, the, best possible for lack of a better term within the circumstances that have been imposed on us and that is what I chose to focus on during that time um yeah acceptance really yeah I think so in the very lucid sense of the term in terms of I, I never really I think going to accept that is how it happened for dad but because I can't change anything I accept that that I, I have to accept it, if you like, because me not accepting it isn't going to change anything. All it's going to do is make me angrier, sadder, or, and, and nothing that's going to benefit me, basically. Do you think you or people who've been bereaved in the same way will ever be able to close the circle of grief, given the circumstances? <clears throat> um, no, quite frankly, I don't. I think... And again, speaking for myself here and the people that I have spoken to right now, I think it's just still such early days, you know, three years ish, which really in the grand scheme of things is no time at all. So who knows, maybe ask me again in 10, 20 years and I might answer differently. But for now, it's still so raw and it's still so recent. And I think if you're not COVID bereaved, it's almost like COVID doesn't exist anymore and that it was just a weird time that happened a few years ago and I think that leaves everybody who is COVID bereaved even more bereft and lost and lonely and I don't think that is something that you can just get closure with whilst you're feeling like that and yeah for me I don't even know what it would take for me to get closure on it because of the whole trauma of it all and the way that it happened. Um, You know, it's not like we're going to be able to go back and change things. And it's not like we're going to be able to now have the funeral that we couldn't have. So I think because we were robbed of so many things, I don't don't really know, in all honesty, how you can get closure on that. I think that's a really salient point. I think that people, um, the view is people who are not covid bereaved viewers you know it's been three years um you know 
why haven't you moved on? And yet, you know, the people I've spoken to, that loss that they've had, it's like it was yesterday. That's yeah, definitely. not understood, isn't it? Yeah, and I think also, like, it was only something of me just trying to figure out what my own brain was thinking when I'm going through various emotions at different stages. And to me, I almost self-assess and try to figure out, okay, I'm feeling like this, what could be the reason why? And more recently... I was, you know, in the in the past month or two, been really, really struggling a lot with just feeling incredibly stressed and incredibly anxious. And I knew it was around dad and the loss of dad, but I couldn't quite pinpoint why. And I was just thinking, you know, it's the lead up to all the anniversaries for us. You know, three days time will be the anniversary of the last time I saw him. And from then on, I've just got all these dates ingrained in my brain of all the anniversaries. Yeah, I, ju- I just think... my brain just kind of goes blank with it all but um it's just something that is I think as a result of being in a bubble for pretty much two years if you like of lockdown in and out in and out as we know but really two years of what I kept saying quotation marks non-normality and then the past year has been the first normal year if you like it's the first year that I have been back to work it's the first year that you know businesses reopened and not closed and opened again and I think because it's thinking of it like that it's actually only been one year living in normality for those other years during lockdown the other two years it still wasn't real life wasn't normal people were still in lockdown and out of lockdown and then there were still restrictions it was all getting phased out so I think actually that's probably had an effect that I didn't realise on me as well because I was thinking why why is this anniversary this third anniversary feeling almost I was feeling it more in the lead up and feeling it more in the lead up than even the, the first anniversary and I think it's because it's the first one where I'm now living back in a normal world and perhaps that is making my brain subconsciously think in some weird way I'm not in that little lockdown bubble anymore and as stressful as it was it was almost like a safety bubble that I only really had to worry about me being at home and my mum and my partner and and that was it my safe little bubble of almost that I could retreat into it and hide away from the world there and now we can't anymore We're, we're back in normality and I think you know I heard this phrase before about delayed grief and how the pandemic was going to cause this wave of delayed grief because people weren't able to grieve properly whilst they were in lockdown so maybe it's that I don't know but yeah it's it's definitely a strange one (laughs) and I think it's something we can only just figure out as we go along I think that's that's something to remember that you know Covid was new and so we were the first we are the first people to be bereaved by Covid And therefore, we are the first group of people who are trying to figure out COVID grief with it. So, you know, we are the first. We've got no one to relate to. So I think maybe in that sense is why it's all just everybody's almost finding their way in the dark, trying to figure out why they're feeling certain ways. And could it be related to this? And, you know, so, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I was taken aback by the guests on my podcast spoke about which is she said that she felt if she had stayed in lockdown, then, you know, her dad wouldn't have died, that, you know, he would yeah. still still come back into the room, which is is such a distortion, isn't it, of yeah. 
of the facts. Absolutely. I mean, I can't think of any other way to describe it, really. Yeah. What do you think of that? I can completely understand how that person feels like that and why they feel like that, because kind of, as I said before, the way I refer to it is that we were in this bubble during all of it. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a good one in the fact that we were grieving and mourning, but it was distorted, as you say, because this major traumatic event had happened to my family. And then suddenly we were just locked back at home for months and months afterwards with no real need to go out into the world and try and process what had happened. I know for for myself anyway, I guess if you like, it was a bit like baby steps. So the baby steps was trying to process it all and understand what had happened whilst not having to worry about normal life. I didn't have to worry about going to work. I was just at home and that's all I really had to focus on. And it was almost like, okay, I got the hang of that a bit. And then you're flung out into the real wild world and you have to suddenly go back to normal and juggle life and juggle work and everything on top of that grief that you were holding. And that just completely changes it because you can, in that bubble, you can make of it what, what you want to a degree because that is your safety net. But that safety net almost got pulled away when the restrictions were lifted. And I know that kind of sounds contradictory in terms of lockdown being the safety when also it was lockdown that imposed the restrictions. It also meant that we knew immediately what we had to deal with. And that was the circumstances then and there. We were really unprepared for how we were going to then deal with it when we were back in the real world so I yeah I can completely understand how she feels like that because you are just in your own little bubble and as much as that had lots of negatives I think for me anyway it had positives in the fact that it almost became my security as well so then suddenly having that taken away was just like whoa okay now I have to actually speak to other people about this and function in the real world as if none of this has happened if you like it's very, very complex, isn't it? Massively so. On, on yeah. so many, so many levels. What helps you? Has anyone in your community shared things that have helped them? I think the biggest thing that has helped me and in, in when I've asked people in my community, the one resounding answer has been this community of COVID bereaved, having a community and relatability. It was exactly the reason I started the page in the first place, because it was just after dad's funeral and I was suddenly left in this weird limbo trying to process what on earth had just happened. And I was desperately Googling everything and trying to find just people, you know, COVID loss and people who'd been bereaved by COVID and COVID grief support. But it was just too early. The resources weren't there. So I just thought to myself at that point, I'd been writing quite a lot. And that for me was my therapy. And I just thought, you know what, if I can't find other people, I'm going to start something and hopefully they will then find me. And that is exactly what happened. And for me, that that little page on the Internet on the Internet has become really my form of therapy. That has been what's allowed me to process and to try and just figure out what's going on. And in terms of sharing that, I think that is what has then helped other people because they then have messaged me and said you know what outside of this when I'm with people who don't understand I just feel completely alone and then being able to go online and know that right there you get it you understand it's a real comfort and I think it's like with everything in life that's difficult isn't it all you really need is support and relatability because nobody can 
explain COVID loss unless you have been through it. And that is what made it really, really isolating. So I think just immediately being able to connect with other people who have experienced similar, that seems to be what helps most people, just that comfort of knowing you're actually not alone. As lonely as it can feel at times, there are other people who do understand and that is a huge comfort. So I think just try and find those groups of people and there are support groups now and talk and just get that comfort, if you like, in in knowing you're not alone. Helen, thank you so much. That was um, really, really interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Well, thank you so much for having me again. It's been great to talk to you as well. I'm delighted to have Edie Nathan with me all the way from New York, where she is a psychotherapist and re- uh, grief recovery expert. And she's doing some really fascinating work, uh, really quite different. And so I'm absolutely delighted to have you here with me today, Edie. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Great. <clears throat> So I really just wanted to pick your brains and get your thoughts about the phenomenon that I'm calling distorted grief. It, it is complex and it, it's it's like trauma on steroids and the traumatic brain is um, is complex because when when it takes in so much information where there's a hit on what you know or what you thought you know or how life had been going along and all of a sudden you've been transported without moving anywhere into a world and a realm that you don't recognize you don't know how to function in you don't have the wherewithal to perhaps even live on your own without community because a lot of people got hit in this way and you talked about rituals. I'm a big ritual person. And uh, I, I believe that rituals are grounding. And so when those rituals are taken away, the very ground that, that that those rituals lay for us to lay our heads down on, to trust, to go back to, uh, are disappeared. And so this this grief that you're talking about, not being able to bury someone or not being able to see them before they leave their body, not being able to say goodbye, uh, not being able to have a memorial or a wake or a gathering or recognition of the grief. The brain is like, what just happened? And it's it's as if because you didn't see it, you, you're trying to figure out where to put it. Because we don't have a history of where to put it. So what does that mean going forward? How how can that circle of grief be closed? Can it ever be closed? Well, that's based on the premise that the circle of grief ever gets closed. I don't think it does. Good point. You know, I actually had a woman come up to me the other day and um, she had heard me speak and she said, so tell me, you know, I, I've been told that I'm going to get over this. And um, what do you think? And I said, well, do you want the truth or do you want me to just be in line with what you heard? And she said, I want the truth. And I said, no, this is not something you get over, which is why in my first book, It's Grief, the dance 
of self-discovery through trauma and loss. It is a dance that we have with this grief, you know, uh, and, and the dance changes, but the dance is evergreen. It goes on and on and on. We evolve with it. We change with it. And I, I happened to lost my, I lost my uncle who was very much, uh, a very powerful man in my life. Uh, he was a psychiatrist and he, he worked with uh, gerontology in Philadelphia. And um, I probably wouldn't be alive had my uncle not really helped me. He was an, an amazing man and he died during COVID and I couldn't say goodbye and I couldn't go to the burial. They did, you know, they did a burial over Zoom and you could you could see it but it's a dangling like re, re, remorse it's and 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 what happens is i find myself talking to him and saying goodbye to him i find myself unlike other losses and this has happened with me with other losses but more so with him i want to pick up the phone and and say hey uncle bob how you doing and it's like oh yeah like he he's gone and there is that momentary, like, ah, oh, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye. And so what what do we do? And I'm using myself because I think if you think just because I can talk about this and this is for your audience, that I too have not been affected by it, you're wrong. And I don't, you know, it's, we used to say there are six degrees of separation between me and the next person of origin I think there are two degrees of separation with this. I know people who know people who know people who lost people and could not say goodbye and could not say a proper goodbye. And people were creative during this time. They they created rituals where letters were sent around from one person to the next and and those letters were, you know, you f- you fill in your your letter to your loved one. And then the next person got that letter and they were able to fill in what they were missing about that particular loved one. And, and how wonder, how wonderfully creative, but the, the, the idea of being able to be part of something and not do it alone, I think is, is, is enigmatic of what, what, what we're struggling with in terms of the losses that occurred during COVID. And we can name it, we can label it, we can call it what we want. What It's a very lonely, excruciatingly lonely time when you lose someone and you have no one to hold you or to touch you or to say, I'm here. And during COVID, that's the, unless you had a partner or maybe a roommate you got along with, you were alone in it and we, you know, you had social media, but that, that became sometimes cranky and not what we wanted it to be. Lots of people said, I'm not doing this. I can't because there was pettiness within a milieu that felt initially safe. Mm -hmm. And what happened sadly was in the alone time, what is curious. And again, I don't know what happened in other, in other governments, um, in Spain or England or around the world, but our liquor stores remained open. And, you know, the alcoholism rate increased because people needed something. 
they needed something. And so is it something we get over? No, but maybe we can dance with it and maybe we can do a revisit. And what I mean by that is, okay, we didn't have the chance to say goodbye, but let's do that gathering now. Let's um let's let's have a wake that doesn't have the body there, but maybe we we put a basket full of letters and flowers and recordings and music and and we recognize that life that didn't have a chance to be recognized. One of the things that really stood out for me when I spoke to some of the COVID bereaved was one lady who said, I felt if we had stayed in lockdown that my dad, he would still come back, that he would still be here. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Well, again, I, I, I it's it's such a, a, a hearty, um, vulnerable statement. Because as long as you are in those walls, then whatever you imagine can continue to be imagined. You begin to break the walls down and you go out into the world and you go seeking my father and he's not there. But in those four walls or how apartment or flat, oh, you can keep imagining whatever you want to. It's, it's just so complex. I was just taken aback. It is. Just it is. Um, what did What did you think about it when you heard that? I thought it was very sort of sort of messed up way of thinking. You know, not mm. contorted way of thinking. The actual statement itself is just so bizarre. Pre COVID, pre the pandemic, if you had heard that statement, oh my word, you wouldn't have begun to understand what it was all about. Yeah, but you know, people have rituals. And people, excuse me, pre-COVID, excuse me, pre-COVID had rituals, have, you know, we've, we've all, we all have things that we relate to and rely on. And um, sometimes we have compulsions and those compulsions pre-COVID, if I shut that door 10 times, then I'll be safe as I walk outdoors. And we could say it's batty or it's a little off. Um, but it's a way to contain anxiety. And everybody uses their own way to contain anxiety. And anxiety is overwhelming. The other side of anxiety, though, when it's um, not medically induced, um, is anger. And so one of the things that I always share with people and with clients, uh, with groups, even when I speak, uh, it is so, so, so important to tap into that anger because what you can't control is what you get angry at. And when the anger doesn't get expressed, it turns into anxiety. And then the anxiety is all often about projection. It's about thinking about the future and ascribing some thinking about that future that feels really crappy. So if I don't leave, then he's still alive. You know, you didn't, maybe she didn't see the body. Maybe it was just a phone call. Maybe they had to do a quick burial. Maybe they're, you know, I mean, it, it, 
it was a crazy, crazy time. It was, you know, bodies were, there was nowhere to put one's loved one. And even that idea, it's like the the brain cannot make sense of it, nor nor frankly should it. Mm. And so we, we go a little bonky, if you will, you know, we go that I combined the word bonky, uh, bonkers and, and wonky, bonky, bonky. But, you know, we, 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 um, we need to try to find a place for something that doesn't make sense. And so being, if I go outside, as long as I stay here, then I can, I can imagine he's alive. The minute I walk through that door, I have to face reality. I have to be out in the world. I have to, you know, talk to people and be chatty or, you know, um, maybe even share if they say, so how's your dad doing? Oh, he died. I can't, I can't pretend anymore. The veil comes down. Do you have any advice for anyone who's having those feelings? Any advice about what might help? Or, I mean, obviously grief is very uh, personal, but any advice in terms of... um... Well, I guess the first thing I would always, I mean, I always say is don't do it alone. And I don't know what that means for any one person. Some people, it means getting a, a therapist or a clinician or a counselor to help them. Or, you know, someone, you know, in their, um, a a church or a synagogue or, you know, um, an imam, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, anyone who you trust of faith, you know, that, that, that could be a go-to if, if, if that's a trusting human, um, I just, if there's a friend, if there's a family member who has the wherewithal to just listen, great. I'm a big advocate for writing things down, not typing, not being, not, not keeping your thoughts down on a computer, but actually pen to paper because um, we know that when we write things, actually write, it actually does do a wonderful thing with the brain. I'm a big advocate for exercise, um, eating well, um taking showers washing your hands not compulsively it, it it's a it's about a whole a whole mind and body mindset for healing and healing doesn't mean forgetting it just means how am i going to live with this in a more peaceful way obviously you know a lot of people lost in 2020 and then you know the lockdown went on for the best part of sort of 2 years so is it only now really that people are properly experiencing that loss would you say I'm going to answer this and I know that whoever is listening might not like my answer so I'm I am going to say that right now there are people who are going to be experiencing it now but what I learned from the people from the survivors from 9-11 sometimes it takes years before you actually are ready to look at it and deal with it because the brain can't tolerate it yet because, you know, we're just trying to figure out who we are in the world, you know, post pandemic, because the pandemic is still around. The effects of it are still around. The lockdown isn't. 
COVID is still here. Who knows for how long it is, it is ever present. It's just the way we're handling it has shifted because we couldn't continue to handle it the way we were handling it. And because there have been boosters and because, you know, travel has opened up and we're just trying to figure out how we're going to live in the world. And sometimes how to, how am I going to live in the world, you know, takes, um, takes first place in just trying to live life, you know, to see where you are, to see, you know, am I really going to want to continue to get dressed and go to a job in the morning or do I need to do something different? Do I want to go live in a, a small house in a little house or do I want to travel or do I, you know, want to work and then take a break? Do I want to change my career? I mean, I think that these are the things that are, um, that are ever present, you know, and someone, someone recently, um, a friend of mine, Olivia in, in uh, New Zealand said, it's kind of like Narnia, like, you know, whatever, whenever we talk about grief or, or, or the pandemic or other things that I'm also working on, it's like, there's this door and on one side is like the earthly plane. And then you go through this door and you, you, you're, you're on the other side of something and you don't exactly know, you know, what that other side is going to offer, what you're going to be facing, but what the pandemic has done, it is like the, also the hero's journey. It's taken us from one place and moved us into it. And we're going to need to try to figure out how we want to get back to the world we knew, but the world we knew is it it's forever changed. You do a lot of work with imagery. I wondered whether you might say a few words on that and anything that you think might might help the COVID bereaved. Mm. Yeah, I do love my imagery. <laughs> that's my other plane. That's that's me walking through the 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 door, the Narnia door, and I'm in this other world, right? And uh because I think I just got chills. So thank you for asking that. No one's ever really asked me that before. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, sometimes the brain, I think, can't tolerate the words, but they can tolerate an image. And an image can speak volumes um, and get to the heart or the, the guts or the pain in a way that my words might only shut someone down. So I could say something and my words are my words, but the image, the image of something, oh, okay, I can be with that image. I can, and so the, the imagery to me is just, it's a way of getting quickly to an emotion without hammering it in. So That's why I like it. So for example... You know, if there is someone who's struggling with anxiety and anger and sort of non-acceptance of what's happened, is there anything, you know, that you would suggest that they might do? I don't know that we ever really accept, to be honest with you. Um, I think we integrate it again, hence the dance of, you know, uh, that I have in the, the first title of my my first book. I think that the, the, the imagery is some of the imagery that can really help is to have something that your loved one may have given you 
or said to you. And maybe again, like write those words down and maybe put them on a piece of paper and put them into your wallet. And when you're having a hard time, open up that piece of paper, say, oh, I have this and I might not have my loved one, but this statement, comment, this bracelet, no one could take that away from me. That, that's me. That's mine. You know, um, I don't have anything of, of my uncle's except for my life. So I appreciate my life because of him, but I have his words and I have, I have his hunger for research and for never taking no as an answer, which always got me into trouble, but that's what I carry. And so it, what I, what I would love to say to everyone is, Find those kernels, find those, those images, the, uh, uh, a bracelet, a ring, a comment, a scent, and, and, and have them close. And imagine that the love that they gave you and the love that you gave them, it walks with you wherever you go. I have, I, my mom did not die during the pandemic. She's been gone a long time, but I have um, many of her rings and I don't wear them often, but when I wear one of them, I say to the ring and, and I know she's not in the ring, but I say to the ring, mom, I'm showing you the world today. And I walk around thinking, I'm going to look at this world today in this moment and I'm going to think of it through her lens and her, the things that she appreciated. And I'm going to pick them up in my mind. She loved clothing. She loved fine art. And it would be a day of appreciating clothing and fine art. And it's like I have her with me in that day. Now, she's always with me. Doesn't My, my loss of her doesn't go away. It's just, it's moved. And I can take her, the spirit of her, and have joy. That's lovely. Thank you for that. Is there yeah. anything else that you would like to to say to the COVID-briefed community? Yeah. So I often end like this, but it always comes out differently. I love the story of The Wizard of Oz. I think The Wizard of Oz is one of the most magnificent stories and really in ever, ever written. And um, in a way, grief and people who are dealing with grief, all different kinds of grief, but, but also COVID grief, because we, we had to do it alone. You know, when she, when Dorothy is given those red shoes, um, she does not know the power that they have. She doesn't know at all what they, what they represent, all she knows is that, you know, she's killed a witch and she's got to get to, you know, the Emerald City and and meet the wizard. And that's what she knows. And and she understands that 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 somehow all is going to be good when she gets there. And yet, you know, she must go on this journey. She must meet the scarecrow and she must meet the tin man and she must meet the lion, you know, and she must meet 
the parts of her that needed to meet her heart and her and her brain and, and, and her courage. And that this journey is about meeting your heart, your courage, and 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 your brain, because the brain really is part of the journey and and being able to see things and hold things differently. And then she 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 meets the the wizard, and the wizard is not this big, horrible, scary guy, but really just this munchkin, this little person. And and then she's gone through all of these these hardships. And then she's told, you know, you could always go home. All you had to do was click these heels three times and you could go home. But if she had been told that at the beginning of the journey, she wouldn't have understood. She needed to go through her coming of age. And what this pandemic has done, it has been a coming of age. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. It is facing a self that you never knew. And for Dorothy, it was going from really a young girl into a woman. And that was her journey. And so I I want you all to know, anyone who's listening, is that you've got the power to shift how you hold the um, metaphorical red shoes. Thank you very much. That was really interesting. Thanks so much for listening to Stolen Goodbyes. I hope it helps. Please tune in next week when I'm joined by the very inspirational Stella Hill, who will be remembering her mother, Sharon. Please do subscribe, review Stolen Goodbyes. If you can make a donation, please do so, no matter how small, as it will help with the running costs of the podcast. And please do follow Stolen Goodbyes on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Have a good week and see you next time.